my friends, the great experiment. Have you begun? Hit it. Drink, drink. Would you look at that? The greatest drink, drink. Did you feel your old astronauts are some kind of star drink? Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Adam, I told I told this story to you the other night at dinner, but I want to tell it again. I feel like the Friends of DeSoto deserve to know about this story, this dream that I had involving you, involving us. It'll be, for me, like hearing it again for the first time, because the first time you told the story, I just sort of zoned out. <laughs> I mean, when somebody says, I'm about to tell you a dream, that's a, generally the appropriate response. I mean, I, that isn't even a response I could control. My body, just out of self-preservation, <laughs> instinctually does that. <laughs> I had a dream involving you, though. Yeah. You and I were on stage. We we did a live show, and it was uh, one of those... We've, we've only, I think, done this one time in our touring lives where we had an early show and a late show. Mm-hmm. But a lot of performers do this. They book like a, you know, like a 6 p.m. show and a 9 p.m. show or something yeah. like that. And they turn the room. Mm-hmm. And we were doing that. We were doing an early show and a late show. And for the early show, for some reason, we had decided that we were going to sit in the audience with everyone and we had like we had guests on stage. Our buddy from Dashboard Confessional was on stage, and we were like interviewing him from the audience. And I think our idea was that we were making a more relatable show, like we were kind of coming from the perspective of the audience by sitting there. But the effect that it had was that lots of people thought that it was appropriate to ask questions of the person on stage, even though they didn't have microphones. And so we were doing a lot of like managing people just shouting stuff out that were like sitting near us. And at a certain point, I got like actively angry at one of these people. And I was like, God, like, I I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be guy that gets salty with his own crowd just because like I made a bad decision about how we were going to set this staging up. So, you know, we were like turning the room. The The first crowd had filed out. We we're getting close to doors for the second crowd. And you and I were like up on stage. And I was like, dude, I really think we should set up a couple of chairs up here on the stage so that we don't have the heckling problem. Like the, it, it'll be like, this is the show and that's the crowd and there's a divide. There's a bright line between them. And uh, you needed some some persuading, but I think I, I, I basically had you persuaded that we were going to put a couple of chairs up on the stage. We're standing there talking. It's almost doors. Oh, I, I forgot to tell you the other part of this dream is that I had died recently. And my body had been loaded into a golem, not unlike Jean-Luc Picard in Star Trek colon Picard. <laughs> or my mind had been loaded into a golem, rather. So I was I was dealing with like some some new body kinks. <laughs> you know, working out some of the the things from having just taken all the plastic off and uh, unwrapped this brand new body. And one of the things was I had no awareness of when I was going to pee or poo in the new body. I hadn't connected that stuff up yet. And so I had to wear diapers during the show and we're standing on stage. It's like 10 minutes to door. And you, you say to me, Hey man, do you want to um, check your diaper out? Make sure everything's okay down there. 
And I'm like, what are you talking about? We got to get this figured out. And you're like, I really think you should probably go take a look at the situation. And I go into the bathroom and I have, I've had a blowout dump in my die die that has, has like come up the front of it. Like I'm wearing like a blue Oxford shirt and the texture of baby poop poop <laughs> is like coming up my belly. And so I'm in the bathroom, like frantically using wipes to try and clean myself up. And I like, don't have a change of clothes. <laughs> and like like a stage manager is telling me it's like five minutes to doors and i'm like i need more time than that i need more time <laughs> so all that is to say i think our shows have really uh badly affected my mind ben i am so sorry <laughs> to tell you that once again, I stopped paying attention when you said that you had a, a story of a dream that you had to tell me. <laughs> it's okay. That was more for the people at home. <laughs> Do you find that your dream life is more colored by the things you experience as a new parent combined with uh, your sleep deprivation? Like, are things getting weird in there overnight? Because I have never had a dream like what you've described. I wouldn't have a dream like what you've described. And uh yeah, I would I would wake up feeling not rested <laughs> if I ever did. I don't know. I was a lucid dreamer for a long time. I used to be like in total control of what I was experiencing. See, that sounds awful to me too. No, it was great. It was just like uh all right, hey, let's do a heist now. Hey, let's fly spaceships now, you know? Like it was cool. Let's make out with a beautiful babe. I just I just want to, I want to sleep. I just, I want to rest. <laughs> and doing a heist while I sleep does not sound restful at all. <laughs> well, it was like the uh, Rififi kind of heist where it was like, uh, you know, trying to be really quiet while we drill through the ceiling of a bank, you know. Hey, Ben, you know, you know what kind of episode we have today? Mm. A Rafifi kind of heist. Yeah, we sure do, don't we? <laughs> She's not um, putting an umbrella through a little hole to catch the chunks from the bigger hole that she's about to make, though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I honestly can't think of many other baby-related dreams uh, I've had. This was very baby-related, but it was also very Star Trek Picard-related and very, like, my relationship with you-related. Yeah, it combines a lot of your interests, I guess. <laughs> and also your fears, because... I don't know about you, but I very rarely bring a change of clothes to a venue during a live show. Yeah, I've never thought of it before. Maybe that's fucking amateur hour. Maybe the professionals in our audience know better than that. Yeah, and also yeah. the idea of uh, of being unprepared to perform. And also the <laughs> the great fear of doing a bad job while performing. Luckily, you and I have never had that experience, but it is a fear. It's a propulsion. It's something that forces me to do my best yeah you know for fear of shitting down the front and back of my blue oxford shirt <laughs> which is the classic thing that happens to me when i do a bad job as a performer right, right. total blowout right blowout dumps yeah. uh, they come for all of us when we do a bad job on stage yeah yeah so that was my dream i'm i hope you grew stronger from the dream sharing Ben. <laughs> I really do. Uh, do you want to see if we grow stronger from the episode sharing, Adam? Let's find out. 
It is the last episode in our package of screeners that we have received for now. Hopefully we get another pack in the not-too-distant future. For right now, it is Star Trek Picard, Season 3, colon, the final season, Episode 6, colon, The Bounty. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Let's fly. Uncertainty. Our cold open is on a Titan Bois. Yeah. Boy, oh boy, does this attract a lot of attention right away. Like moths to a flame, Starfleet vessels are coming out of warp all around this thing. This image of the three ships kind of all pointing their nose inward toward the Bois was the thumbnail on Mm -hmm. the streaming. We we get this streaming app for watching screeners that it's like if a streaming app only had one show and only some episodes of that show in it. Yeah, well put. But the thumbnail for this episode was this shot. And yeah, it seems like it'd be a great way to lay a trap, like put something real explosive in the bois. Can you remember a totally top-down composition in Star Trek before this one? That wasn't a sequence, like a flyby over the top. I feel like this was a unique composition in all of Star Trek, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Frakes is a big fan of the God Shot, but this isn't a Frakes. Yeah. Who's our director today? I think it's Dan Liu. Yeah. Is uh, the name I remember off the top of my head. These bois haven't only attracted the attention of the Federation starships. The Shrike has also been frustrated by these things. The crew's frustrated. Vatic's frustrated. She's doing that thing where you can inspire your team in two ways, right? You can can bloviate about their failures and how that makes you feel. Or you can inspire them with your racist agenda. And she does both here. Yeah, she calls them ill-defined and unshapen. She says that if they don't find them soon, she'll execute every ill-defined and unshapen last one of you, I think. Does that suggest that there is kind of a class system among the founders where like maybe the people in the in the eyes wide shut masks are like remain gooey because they are of a lower class than the Vatic type who are able to be solid and maybe have the ultimate stranger hand appendage to go with. I've really been wondering about this because we do get confirmation that Vatic is a gold in this episode. Right. We still don't know what these guys are. And that line really makes me think that it is something like that. There's something wrong with them and they can't morph convincingly the way she can. Yeah. She also speaks of our brothers and sisters to them. So that sort of implies that they and, and she are the same thing. But I also have been wondering if they're like Jem Hadar. Oh, interesting. Or something similar. Like they don't seem as as tough as Jem Hadar. I was thinking of parts in this episode about that question about the question of class within the changelings. And it made me wonder whether or not the cure to the virus that was introduced into their pool maybe had some side effects for some of them. Like maybe it did not cure all of them and maybe Right. Maybe many of their kind, you know, because they weren't cured, maybe they're a part of the axe they have to grind against the Federation. Maybe that's the thrust of this whole thing. That's an interesting theory. I mean, the willingness of one to kill another is distinctly unchangeling. Right. The most sacred law of our people. Because uh, one of them keeps, like, giving lip or, like, (laughs) 
kind of talking back to Vatic and gets vaporized. And yeah, you don't pipe up on Vatic's bridge. Mm-mm-mm. I thought of the changelings as having a very flat society, a very, uh, I mean, not just the surface of the goo, but like also like in terms of like there was change leader, but it didn't seem like change leader was uniquely in charge. Change leader was just uniquely in touch with Odo in a way that the others weren't. I would never suspect flat society because anytime you pour a changeling into a bucket, there's like that meniscus on top. Oh, More right. of a meniscus society, <laughs> I think. Mm. She gives an order to like go down the list, like find out who Picard's closest friends and family are. Who would he turn to in a time of desperation? In my mind, I was like, well, certainly Laris might be name checked here. Uh huh. I'm going to go ahead and make the bet right now, Ben. I don't think we're going to see Laris until the finale, maybe. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking we might not even see her then. Yeah, yeah, it's a bummer. But this is a a dark strategy now. It's not just about finding Jack Crusher or Picard or the Titan. It's about getting leverage on them. If you can't find them, draw them out. Speaking of Jack Crusher, the thing that has been causing his weird hallucinations seems to have been figured out. And it's the same brain thing that Picard had in uh, season one. According to this, Jack has a rheumatic syndrome. Inherited from me. Yeah, it's a trait that he picked up from Picard's DNA. It's in your blood. (laughs) You're gonna die. (laughs) That scary red door is in your blood. You'll slowly grow more insane, and then you'll die. (laughs) And there's no golem for you. They're a very rare commodity. Yeah. It's interesting in this scene when they talk about the diagnosis, this is Picard and Beverly talking about the diagnosis of Jack Crusher, that they believe so strongly that it's a medical problem and know nothing of the idea of a Vatic. And I guess at this moment in time, you have to believe whether or not the Vatic part of what he's hearing in his mind Hmm. is part of his diagnosis or if... They're wrong about the diagnosis, and Vatic's power over him presents as Eremotic syndrome. Right. I had another theory, too. Oh, let's hear all, let's put all the theories on the table. We've talked a lot about these new changelings, you know, passing for human in every way. Right. Is it possible that Jack Crusher is a changeling and something about his constitution is fucked out a little bit? Like, Maybe if you were to scan him, he's got all the brains and shit and he has eremotic syndrome. Right. You know, with a tricorder or whatever. But like if you were to slice into his brain, would it turn into goo? <laughs> they should try. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, sorry, Jack. This is going to permanently give you brain damage, but we've got to know. Yeah. You're going to be dead anyway. <laughs> Jack is getting hammered in reaction to this yeah. news. He's very jealous of Picard's golem. I don't suppose you've got another one in my size, have you? The like, enmity between him and Picard feels like it has really roared back here because having gotten half of his DNA from Picard has doomed Jack and... All of the, my mom trying to like keep me away from you so that I wouldn't be screwed up by some adventure you were on mm-hmm. really didn't work out. <laughs> no. Is this a hollow bartender in the scene or is this someone who's taking his entire time before going back 
for their duty shift <laughs> after after ducking in here in the just about to die scene. <laughs> yeah. He's trying to blend in with the other holograms. He's like, yeah. uh, like day three. <laughs> My cover is still not blown. <laughs> Look, dude, I know no one likes to go back home after a vacation, but uh, <laughs> this is a skeleton crew here. Yeah. So with the uncomfortable truth that uh, Jack and Picard's fates are linked, whether Beverly keeps them apart or not, we welcome Worf and Raffi aboard. Yeah. When they materialize on the transporter pad, Beverly goes and breaks hugging protocol immediately. Yeah. You're not supposed to hug people that don't want to be hugged. Oh, really? You can't even hug people anymore, Ben? <laughs> just saying you're a hugger doesn't <laughs> give you permission to just touch people's bodies. Uh, I mean, this is only slightly less awkward than Seven and Raffi <laughs> reuniting, right? Like, what is the status of their relationship? It is hard to tell. It's uh, they're definitely broken up. Yeah, the tension in this room between Worf and Beverly and between Raffi and Seven, it's just really multi-dimensional tension. Yeah, you don't like to see. How did they get to the Titan? Did they take the La Serena? I think the Titan is like warping around and dropping these transponder bois and trying to throw everyone off. So my guess was just that, you know, maybe they did take the La Serena, but they they left it behind wherever they did. Yeah. I mean, you get that establishing shot of the Titan next to that big star. I didn't see the La Serena around. I'm, yeah. I just really wondered about how they got to the Titan and if that answer is going to pop up later, if the La Serena will be useful at some point. Mm -hmm. It's like, we know to remember the Titan, but shouldn't we also remember the La Serena? Yes, we really should. So good. So good. <laughs> so we jump to the McLaughlin group. Issue one. And Warren <laughs> Ravi just kind of recap everything that's happened in the season up till now. Previously on Star Trek Picard. It's important to know the status of Federo changeling diplomacy, right? Like, how exactly did we get here? Yeah, and uh, I thought it, there was some useful information here because I, I didn't totally remember the, like, virusing the changelings part yeah. of the Dominion War. Yeah. And the, uh, the scars and shame on both sides thing really feels like it is a big part of why Worf has uh, has chosen to put down his sword and shield and embrace meditation and stuff. It's really confusing for everyone in the McLaughlin group because there are visual aids helping Worf summarize this story. And like, they're all different pictures of Jeffrey Combs. <laughs> and the crew's like, I'm confused. Like the same guy yeah. played all of these key characters, but he's not a changeling. <laughs> No, he didn't play one changeling. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> Just doing my job. So they talk about the Daystrom Institute and the vault that they need to go into to get the, the manifest of everything that's being kept at the Daystrom Institute. Because that's going to be the master list against which they can compare, you know, what's actually there, I guess. So right. they'll know what all the changelings took because they know they took the portal gun, but it seems like they must have also taken something else that's even worse. And uh, the tricky thing is that this vault is protected by an evil AI and they've got 
a key, but that's only going to get them part of the way in. The rest is going to involve some Starfleet ingenuity, I guess. I think they really missed a fairly obvious strategy that anyone who's ever worked in retail would know about at this point, which is like, no one likes doing inventory. Inventory fucking sucks. (laughs) What you do is you find a Starfleet, like a disgruntled Starfleet inventory control employee. Right. You get the manifest from them. How's that inventory coming? They'd be happy to let it slip. Yeah. Yeah. You think they want to be doing that shit? No one does. Sucks. So they warp into the system that the Daystrom station is in. And they warp in, like, hiding behind a moon nearby. The away team is going to be Worf, Raffi, and Riker. Riker enters the transporter room late because he's doing that one last pee before I get on a mission thing. (laughs) I think that's smart. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... If he's anything like me, he's going to be up three or four times during the flight as well. But yeah, I guess we know for a fact that he's not like me because <laughs> I've been on a flight with him. We were just on a very short plane flight, less than an hour. And I was shocked that you did, in fact, get up to pee. I had to pee. <laughs> yeah, got to. You do not want to be having landed needing to pee. Yeah. Were we together when I had to do that? No. I was on a flight and we had landed and I was like, all right, well, I need to pee and seatbelts are about to need to be fastened before final descent or whatever. And I'm like, cool, I can wait until we're on the ground. But we get like ground stopped after landing and we're waiting for a gate that isn't open. (laughs) And I'm like starting to freak out. And I finally zup a flight attendant and I'm like, I really got to go. And I'm in big trouble here. Like I totally leveled with her, but she was like several rows away from me. So I had to have this conversation in public. (laughs) And she had to let me. Yeah. I got up to pee. It's it's better to hold the plane and let you pee than let you pee in your seat. Yeah. For everyone. Yeah, that's a totally different problem. I have been in that exact same position. I did not ask for permission. I asked for forgiveness. (laughs) I raised my hand like a fucking child. (laughs) (laughs) there was a microphone in my seatbelt pocket and I was like oh yeah (laughs) I went into this flight thinking that our arrival time was going to be like arrival to the gate thus allowing me to go into the airport and pee Mm -hmm. in a lounge or what have you Uh, I'm just supposed to sit here for an undetermined amount of time holding my pee I'm going to take my answer right here. I can't go anywhere. Get a life. Did you try to use some like code, like say like, hey, I'm kind of, uh, I'm uh, urgently need to do 10-1. Is that cool? You know what's great is uh, 10-1 on a flight to or from LA totally works. Everyone knows. (laughs) So uh, yeah, the away team heads out. And the second they're over there, like compromised Starfleet vessels start showing up and, you know, the Titan has to scramble to get out of there so that they, you know, can't be tracked. Meanwhile, like in the very scary uh, reception room (laughs) that they beam into, the away team has to like put the special modified computer chip into something so that the station doesn't automatically murder them. It's hard to think about AI without thinking of control, right? Yeah. At least I was thinking about that a bunch. Yeah. Like, why on earth 
is this how they do security on this station? <laughs> and what is in this key that works? Like they take out some isolinear chips and putting in this key onto a chip and putting it in the slot stops the computer from killing them. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Sort of reminded me of, uh, you remember Sonic and Knuckles? Mm-hmm. You put the other cartridge into the cartridge and then you uh, put the whole thing into the Genesis. That was so fun. Speaking of Genesis, when they go inside this thing, they get to like walk around and look at some of the exhibits. And one of them is a, a second version of the Genesis torpedo. I love that. Oh man, the Klingons are going to be fucking pissed. <laughs> Give me Genesis! But before that, we are on the Titan once again, where the panic is real. They're panicking because these ships that have come onto the scene aren't just loaded for bear and ready for a fight. They have a sort of weapon that also acts as a tracer or a tracker, so they can't get hit. Right. Not even once. If they get hit, then Starfleet's going to know exactly where they are. So they got to scramble to get out of there until they can't be tracked. And like they also can't figure out how they're being tracked because they keep leaving these transponder buas everywhere. That should be enough, but it's not. They have a photon torpedoes on Voyager amount of transponder beacons (laughs) to drop (laughs) if you're the Titan. Yeah. One thing to note here is that there is an artificial timeline involved. There, There is an actual security team that inspects the Daystrom Institute every hour. Right. And so when Riker's told that the Titans got to bug out, they are promised that they will be back in less than an hour. Right. We'll figure this out, guys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so out they bug. And uh, yeah, the away team gets to like look at all this stuff. It seems like Kirk's corpse is one of the things that's there. This makes total sense, right? You can't just leave the body on Viridian 3. Right. You gotta, like, Picard did a great job keeping it safe from coyotes mm-hmm. or whatever, but you gotta get the body out of there. This is Star Trek, right? And on Star Trek, you can clone people right. and use them for your ill purposes. Like, I mean, Kirk was in the Nexus for a long time. There's probably yeah. a lot you can learn about a body that's been subjected to that much nexonic energy i know i really wanted the full tour of daystrom institute i wanted to see every exhibit yeah it would have been a fun callback if they'd gone into the room where they keep all the megalomaniacal artificial intelligences yeah lower decks i love it here not an organic to be found do you think there's a tip here in what they didn't show us because i thought it would have been a good opportunity if this is not a nubbin bug adjacent story in any way yeah like this is where you would show us a nubbin bug show us the bug yeah like they they've got remix legs in there next to (laughs) kirk's full body (laughs) (laughs) yeah remix body looks like a gouty just (laughs) (laughs) just weird columns of skeleton yeah yeah it's uh Kind of tense over there. Like, I think Worf is in kind of a bad mood because he's, A, uncomfortable with Raffi and Seven having broken up but not got into, like, a sword fight with each other or anything. Yeah. And then he's, like, you know, like, Riker is, like, busting his chops and, you know, Worf doesn't like that. And Riker's like, what the fuck happened to you, man? I thought they were homies. Like, they didn't keep in touch. Yeah, I I agree. And this is another element that sort of adds to the... 
like it's a show that's putting the attention on Worf and what may be wrong with him to distract us from what may be wrong with Will Riker. Yeah. I think. But this is another example of an episode that writes Worf really well. Like as an embarrassing dad, he gets an embarrassing dad scene this episode. Yeah. It would have been maybe a little too on the nose to have Worf struggle with a door in this, but I really yeah. wanted it. Yeah. Like it, se- it seemed like a perfect opportunity with all these hallways and we get like the security cam view of them and it looks really glitchy and fucked up, but it's, it's definitely like recognizing them. It pulls up a file photo of Riker from first contact, which I really liked. I want to note this episode so bad because when we cut to security POV, this was the first seed of doubt in my mind that was like, why is the most important security installation that Starfleet has, why is it guarded by anything that glitches? Yeah. Why wouldn't it just be a thousand security people beamed into every room so thick <laughs> that you can't move around? <laughs> that is a better security plan than this. Yeah. And this is the first of many similar questions for me that is like, why are you trusting the things that you're choosing to trust with your most <laughs> valuable stuff? I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Hi, Adam Pranica here for Podshop.biz, the easy way to dress, drink, and decorate virtually anything fast 
with embarrassment that lasts. Podshop.biz is not a cult, and it's not a multi-level marketing scheme. It's a supercharged carousel of crap spinning at a high rate of speed for all your dorky needs. Ordinary web stores are a mess, but with Podshop.biz, you'll find products from all of our shows referring to many of our most popular bits. Shirts, glasses, and bags from other websites can damage your mood, but not with Podshop.biz. Our nerdy, jokey bullshit will rebuild your damaged attitude and turn you into a person with riz. Turn your laptop from off the shelf to off the hook with a sticker. Make pool time cool time with our line of hilarious swimwear. And stop raw-dogging your smartphone. Strap it up with the choice of designs that'll have you go from saying hello to hello. But that's not all. At podshop.biz, you can choose from the Brenner Information Systems Collection, the Uxbridge Shimoda Corporate Collection, this old enterprise, logos for Greatest Generation and Greatest Trek, and more. Order now at podshop.biz. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. They encounter an ominous hollow crow, and then they encounter Moriarty. And it sort of seems like we've solved who the diabolically clever artificial intelligence guarding the Daystrom Institute is. I mean, famously, Moriarty's program was given to the Daystrom Institute. Uh huh. This seems like what they've decided to use it for. And this was what Moriarty was known for in the Sherlock Holmes stories. Guns and shooting them at people. <laughs> Greetings. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, This ends on a dun-dun-dun, and we cut over to the Titan and catch up with <laughs> If you felt your Star Trek-loving parts being zhuzhed a little bit earlier from the exhibits on the station you've become completely engorged once you see the starfleet museum at athen prime 
Yeah. A site which just floods every basement of every Star Trek lover possible, right? Like, this is the greatest. It's space duck with all of our favorite spaceships circling around it in these little, like, observation rings. But the Commodore of the Fleet Museum is not happy to see them, Adam. Yeah, we get a quick blip of on-screen Geordi before he beams over. Shaw is like... (laughs) Shaw says... He wants to be a needle in a haystack by like taking a parking spot that that one of these museum ships would occupy. Then there's like a dozen ships parked at the station. So I'm like, (laughs) so Shaw wants to be a needle in a pile of 13 pieces of straw. (laughs) This is not a good place to hide. Yeah. What? How do you define stack, Shaw? Because I feel like. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, Commodore LaForge shows up not knowing whether to be like curt and professional or whether to hug. Yeah, guess who's also a hugger, right? But he models good hugging etiquette for the doctor because he does the arms wide and lets her come in, you know? It's like an invitation to hug without the demand of a hug. You see this in pictures that Keanu Reeves takes with fans. Right. Like uh, impression of a hug. (laughs) A no-touch hug is what he does. (laughs) Yeah. So we learn here that one of Jordy's many gripes, like he's sort of a bedraggled manager just trying to hold it together who is frustrated by one more thing. And that one more thing is the Titan. Right. Because he's like really focused on this concern he has about Frontier Day, which is coming up and they're putting the whole fleet together in one place. And he thinks it's incredibly strategically foolish. And so- Like, I really like this because you you think about like his perspective, like for weeks, this has been in the works. He's been mad about it. He's been writing memos and like trying to make his displeasure with this choice heard. And now fucking Picard shows up on a beat up ship and wants him to like put everything aside to help him. And he's like, no, I've got a much bigger fish to fry. I think this scene is important because it's distracts you from that thing that happens so often in TV, especially like one hour procedural TV, which is like a character that should be smart, that you know to be smart, is like usefully dumb (laughs) or usefully focused on one thing. Right. Because after Jordy learns later what the stakes of this thing are, it makes no fucking sense that he would want to (laughs) stay on his space station at all. Like the safest place for him to be would be Titan, but- this version of Jordy that we get here, who is so strung out with work tasks, yeah. uh, is not seeing it like that at this moment. I could see it being kind of a turning the Titanic kind of thing. Like this has been like his his singular focus for such a long time. It takes him a while to kind of recalibrate everything. This is the yearly conference that you're preparing your company for. Right. Yeah. We also meet Alondra, Crash's sister, and mm-hmm. uh, LeVar Burton's real daughter. Yeah. Her nickname, I'm uh, presuming, is Ride. All of his daughters have nicknames of different symbols on a drum kit. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> Maybe there's a, a daughter named China. Mm-hmm. One named Hi-Hat. Yeah. One called Double Bass. <laughs> She's the metal of the daughters. Yeah. <laughs> so Jordy is being brought up to speed here and is really not feeling anything about what he's being told. Like, 
I feel like Picard is telling him this in order to recruit him right. into this mission, but all it's doing is kind of scaring Jordy away. It It is making Jordy feel like the last thing he wants to do is get involved in another Jean-Luc Picard adventure because his family is here and that means his family is on the line. And like what he's being asked to do sounds impossible. Like you've got people on the Daystrom station and you need Jordy to help break them out. Like, no, (laughs) he has 48 hours to gather the fleet for some reason. He doesn't even want to do that. You know, fucking mad my wife is going to be if I'm late for dinner again. Yeah. Yeah. He does drop one really crucial piece of information here that for some reason, Captain Shaw doesn't know. I couldn't believe that Captain Shaw didn't know this. This is another example of smart characters being usefully stupid for the story because Shaw's got to know that all Starfleet ships are integrated. And that means that there's no way any Starfleet ship can hide from any other Starfleet ship, which is why like Shaw's, <laughs> Shaw's deathbed request of, uh, of Jack Crusher Jack looks at him like, you don't know? (laughs) You don't know this thing that even I know? Yeah, yeah. It's a bad look for Shaw. As an engineer especially, right? Right. It seems like something that he should have been at least informed about, have read about, but uh, yeah. I mean, you could fix it with dialogue too. If Jordy were to say that like at a certain command level, above captain even, like maybe only people familiar with working at the shipyard know that like this technology is baked into every ship. Maybe you don't want to tell the captains for reasons of captains going rogue, like the way uh, O'Brien's wow. did, you know? Dang. I like that thought. But then like the changelings that have taken over the other ships would know about it. And how would they know before a captain would? Yeah. I mean, that undoes that theory. Exactly. Yeah. This is the second time this season that the Titan been, has been, Way too easy for the bad guys to find, right. I guess. Yeah. Back on Daystrom Station, Moriarty is licking shots in the atmosphere, but phaser fire does not have any effect on Moriarty. So they have to go, like, run for cover. If we don't get that damn door open, we are dead. D-flat. D-flat. It seems like uh, Riker's perfect pitch might be the only thing that can save them. The bullet hits a glass enclosure behind them, and I thought for sure it would release something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that looked a lot like the thing that the uh, Genesis device was in. <laughs> they come back, and and where the Daystrom station was is now just apples, just a cloud of apples in space. <laughs> what an amazing and shocking right turn this season would take <laughs> if everything leads up to the point of Moriarty shooting the Genesis missile and creating a new Genesis planet. Genesis. <laughs> Yes, Genesis. So while Riker is trying to figure out what this music that they keep hearing is, we cut to like letterboxed footage from the pilot of Star Trek The Next Generation. I had a very nerdy video question for you in this scene, which is, is the flashback retimed to 24 frames a second? Because I feel like the show is in 24 yeah. Like there's something about its frame rate that is filmic in that specific way. And I wonder if they had to take the old TV footage and convert it. Yeah. Because it looks different frame rate wise too. It looks cinematic. And then it's and it's not just the the crop. 
It's yeah. I mean, the crop does a lot of it. The fact that it was shot on yeah, like on film, on film does a lot of it. But it's really beautiful to see. It yeah. made me think that it might be cool to just like throw the pilot into an NLE and do a pan and scan to letterbox it. Yeah, and see what it looks like as a film. Like yeah, it's the scene where Riker went into the holodeck and met Data for the first time, and they're whistling. Dixie. Or it's not Dixie. What song is it? It's Pop Goes the Weasel. Oh, right. <laughs> it's another example. It's a kind of example of Star Trek watching Star Trek in a fun way. You it know? is. Yeah. But in this case, it's a flashback. And it's the kind of flashback where you can actually have the character remember something from decades ago because these characters were in that. And the reveal is that when you when you whistle the answer to the Pop Goes the Weasel melody, it opens the door into the central vault where old data is being kept. I understand that this puzzle is fun, and it's fun to bring back Moriarty, and it's fun to see a flashback scene and all of that. But how does this security system work? Is a projection of a character that is special to the trespasser always a part of the check? And here's the, th- here's oh, the other no, thing. Oh, no, no. I thought it was very clear that this was the security system behaving very differently than it normally does because it recognizes Riker and Worf because it's data. Right. So if you are a person familiar to data or lore or whoever that is right. inside that body and you beam aboard Daystrom station and somehow do the key card thing and you get inside. Uh-huh. What is the security system's job? Like it IDs you and then allows you to go into its core. If it knows you, I guess I get, I mean, I think that this is not a predicted outcome based on the way they were talking about it. Like the, the people that run Daystrom Station expect this to stop everybody, but it malfunctions because of the very strong connection that Data has to Riker and Worf. I think this needs more. Like, I need more dialogue or explanation here for why this is the way things work there. I will say that it didn't work for me. I was more confused the first time through, but the, when I watched it the second time, it seemed pretty clear to me that that's what it was, so... It might be that the dialogue is a little bit garbled. It's an almost perfect security system to be anti-changeling because of how knowledgeable you need to be as a changeling masquerading as a person. And so that was the dead space that my mind was trying to fill in why things are working out this way that was not articulated by the show. Like, if this is an anti-changeling security system and Hmm. data slash lore has to use personal information about you as a check to ID you through, then like, God, even one line of dialogue would would confirm <laughs> that. But as it is, it just seems, it seems like weak security. It seems too weird. I mean, that would be consistent for Starfleet. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so they find AARP data back in the core. <laughs> and this is the big reveal. I thought data died twice. He did. But we don't get to spend time with AARP data. We got to go back and hear about Jordy's fears for the safety of his family. Yeah. And how upset he is that Crash has been taken along for the ride. Yeah. He basically is, is telling 
Picard that they can't help him. And Alondra goes like, what about uh, the thing in Hangar Bay 12? Which uh, I'm definitely going to be watching for the payoff of that little plan. (laughs) Right. Bay 12 also caught my attention because it is one of the most fun lines of dialogue from Aliens. Mm. You remember when Ripley hops into the loader and demonstrates how great she is at picking up boxes and shit? Yeah. I have a class two rating. And she goes, where you want it? (laughs) Bay 12, please. Do you think this is uh, an Aliens reference? Oh, yeah. The queen is in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only thing that can stop the golds is a is a xenomorph. I love that moment. <laughs> While they're talking about this, Seven and Jack are up on the bridge. Like they put a coin in that metal thing that's at the top of uh, the Empire State Building, and and get to look at close-ups of the different ships at the museum. So cool! They've got Constitution class. They've got the Voyager, which is a very touching moment for Seven. We've wanted this for so long. We w- we wanted to see a shipyard in Star Trek forever. Yeah, but uh, they also have the Enterprise A. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, that was blown up in Star Trek Three, right? Or was that Enterprise no bloody A, B, C, or D? Oh, man. You're going to want that edited out, man. <laughs> How about new? <laughs> yeah, the the original Enterprise was destroyed. Okay. And uh, the A was introduced at the end of the Whales movie. We've come home. All right. And then they took it out on its first voyage in Star Trek Five. Yeah, the good Star Trek movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, and then in six, where it was pretty fucked up, but I think they they repaired all the battle damage. What I'm trying to say is, if they can repair a lot of battle damage, maybe they rebuild some parts of these ships. Like for example, if they could pull the saucer off of uh, the surface of a planet, of another instance of the Enterprise, maybe Bay Twelve has a big surprise in it. Are you making a bet? Ooh. Not a gambling man, but I th- I might be tempted to make a bet here. All I do is bet, bet, bet. No matter what. I think a useful reason that Kirk's body is on Daystrom is the evidence that someone went back there to exhume some things. <laughs> and maybe the body isn't the only thing they took from Viridian 3. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, what are the stakes of our wager here? Oh, I don't know. I, I just think it's fun to make uh, futures bets. Okay. In new Star Trek seasons. Well, a gentleman's bet. Yeah. All right. We get Voyager, which is a, a fun moment. And and as we see all these ships, we get the music cues from the properties that they're associated with, and yeah. that's fun. It's good stuff. We don't see the whale probe. No. That'd be fun. But that, you remember, that thing is fucking huge compared to a space dock, so. I know. <laughs> you couldn't just put it in with the rest of the collection. Probably has its own gravitational mass. Yeah. We cut back over to Daystrom and they're talking about, okay, so Moriarty was actually something that Data was using to kind of like make contact with us. He is actually the AI running the security, but he's also got the manifest in his head. So we need to get in there and get the manifest from him, which that was a thing I did not understand the leap on. Yeah. 
I mean, there's another weird leap, too, in the case files of what the hell happened to Worf. He's like, one of my favorite movies is The Clumps. (laughs) So it would seem as though this body is a spiner clump, wherein he gets to play several characters all at once. (laughs) Yeah, we get Alton Soong's final log, and... uh... He explains that this is another golem, just like the one Picard is in, that ages, you know, at a normal rate. And it's got data, it's got lore, it's got lol, it's got B4. Yeah, they also have B4's head, like, sitting separately. Yeah. Looking dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just open mouth, B4. Yeah. Semblance is striking. While they're like learning this stuff, LaForge is continuing his his conversation with Picard. And he's talking about the feeling of risk aversion that he took on as a parent and how different his risk calculations are now that he has kids than the things that he chose to do as a young man. And like he didn't feel the same kind of fear when it was just him, you know, on the Enterprise going to adventure after adventure with his friends and colleagues. Picard kind of rolls his eyes in this scene. He's like, oh, you too. You know, Riker was also too afraid to fight <laughs> several episodes ago. And now this. Yeah. And, and Jordy's like, and that's not even to mention the fact that you brought my daughter, who is notorious for crashing starships, yeah. to the collection of the most valuable starships in the galaxy. Yeah. What are you thinking? He is a parent who is fearful for his children's lives. And that's going to be a no. That's a big yeah. no from Jordy about being involved in whatever it is that's going on here. And you get the single brass instrument of blaming parenthood for never going out and doing anything cool. Right. I'm sorry. Picard kind of stamps out and, you know, tells Crash, like, yeah, your dad wants to talk to you before we go, but he's not going to help us. And she goes in and has a pretty heated interaction with Jordy. Yeah. Explaining to him that like she is her own person who gets to make her own risk calculus and she's a grown up now and it's not his call to make whether she stays behind at the space station or goes on the adventure. I really liked Ashley Sharp Chestnut's performance here on a show that's filled with fucking bangers for actors like Yeah. She has this scene with LeVar Burton and is the biggest and best part of it as she makes the case for not wanting to leave her family and in a way that really kind of like throws it in her dad's face, but in a, not an intentional fuck you kind of way, but in a way that explains herself kind of way. Yeah. And I'm not scared to step up and help them. You are. I was totally affected by this performance. I think it's one of the strongest of this episode, certainly, and the past couple of episodes, she's really great. She is great. I think that LeVar Burton is also great in this scene and in all of his scenes in this episode. And the sense of a long-held tension between these two characters is so vivid in this scene. Yeah. And it's like... It's very believable. <laughs> I've never seen these two actors on screen together before. Like, I, like they really like created a very intense relationship dynamic that feels super authentic, you know? Yeah. You think about like a chemistry read for two characters that are going to need to be like romantically linked and you do that with actors. But like the chemistry read for 
daughter who is trying to get out from under her father's shadow and resents him for it is its own kind of chemistry and they fucking have it. That's a great observation. Yeah. They really did a great job there. She kind of leaves the ready room in a huff and is in a perfect frame of mind to be roped into a heist by Jack Crusher, who has spotted that the HMS Bounty is there at the Fleet Museum, and it might have a cloaking device on board it. This is a scene that I had been wondering if we were going to get. Like, will the kids get together and conspire against the parents? Yeah, and conspire they do. I sort of thought that the implication of this scene was that both LaForge girls were going to be involved in this mm-hmm. thievery, but it doesn't really seem like uh, Alondra goes with them to do it. Right, because I think like any sibling, you don't want to watch your sibling get flirted with by Jack Crusher, you know? Like, I think right. she's happy to let them go do whatever this is. Yeah, everybody... Seems to be aware that there's some energy between Jack and Crash. Yeah. Unfortunately, their couple's name is called Crack. And uh, <laughs> it's just really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. We don't do Crack. Crack is whack. So uh, the, the away team is really going to need a rescue soon because uh, there are Starfleets banging at the door to the vault and uh, they can't access the information that AARP data has. So um, they're like frantically radioing for a rescue and the Titan is still not picking up the phone. Yeah. That's because Titan's still at the shipyard and Shaw is now fully and openly geeking out on Jordy. Yeah. He's a total Jordy fanboy. Yeah. Jordy is, uh, you know, trying to be diplomatic about <laughs> having his cock gobbled by Shaw, but. Shaw stops short of. <laughs> Of saying, everything I know about interacting with other people and love interests, I learned from you. <laughs> bullshit, man. It's just bullshit. Would you sign my coconut? <laughs> <laughs> but they can't complete this conversation because a cloak banger gets dropped on the bridge. And yeah. I thought this was a really cool effect because parts of the bridge go transparent and show the space around them intermittently is this a diegetic sound effect you think when things cloak do you hear the cloak sound because there's something so familiar about this once it goes up it's an iconic sound effect yeah admiral we're now cloaked they're like you know down trying to plug this thing in frantically but you know neither jack nor crash are really engineers so Jordy is like furious with Picard initially because he as- assumes that Picard was behind this thievery, but uh, but Picard was not. And uh, so Jordy realizes that he's going to have to go to this mission whether he wants to or not. And uh, he marches down to where they're plugging in the equipment and actually lends a helping hand. Yeah. And it looked like the same like set that they used for the uh, Shaw opening up the the nacelle manifolds, right? Yeah. Great job getting value for the set. (laughs) So Picard blows in a call to Worf to say that uh, they've got to make preparations for a getaway. Yeah. They're on their way. Riker does sort of a rear guard action where he defends the vault while uh, the rest of the away team get beamed out. 
And Riker gets overwhelmed by marauding Starfleet security people. And meanwhile, Jack and Picard have a conversation after they warp out of there with AARP data and uh, Worf and Raffi, where he expresses some, you know, like, hey, man, I know that I was kind of trying to make the case that having you as a father was like the worst thing in my life. But it turns out there are some qualities that I got from you that don't suck totally. Like, sure, I have a terminal brain illness, but there are also some good things I learned about you. In terms of dramatic tension, this is really, really hard to do because Worf has just told Picard that Riker has captured or has maybe been killed. And in walks Jack to like take his dad on an extremely long walk before finally making his point that there are some qualities that he's inherited that uh, he's proud of. <laughs> I really wanted to sit with Picard a little longer in the grief over Riker. Like, yeah. I want to feel like he's in more danger at this exact moment. Like, we see what sort of danger he's in later, but like, I want to see him grieve his fallen friend. And when Worf yeah. begins the description with like, I'm going to stop at nothing to get him back, it's a little too on the side of he's definitely alive. He's definitely alive and uh, we will solve this problem soon. Yeah. Don't worry. What did you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I think that in this moment I was frustrated, but the like the heightening of stakes for Riker comes. <laughs> Sounds great. In this episode. So I'm, I wasn't totally mad at it. Yeah. But I agree that it's pretty staggering to like turn heel right in the middle of learning this about your your best bud and then have Jack sit down and say like, you, you know, it turns out you're not all bad. Yeah. Jack is a proud son and Jordy is a proud papa. Very proud. He kind of uh, apologizes to Crash about the sort of overprotective parent thing that he was pulling and uh, they have a, a nice little moment. And then we go to Six Bay where they are turning on data. And uh, there's some, like, you can see some some of the cables, like, snaked around. They don't show the open flap in the head or anything. And I really wanted to see that. I really wanted to see flap. You're right. Yeah. And uh, I also wanted, like, Soong has changed how you turn him on. Like, I kind of wanted that to be his signature, like, you push in his side. Right. His side body to uh, <laughs> to turn him on. Yeah. That's not what happens here. Yeah. They have a multiple personality android on their hands. Yeah. There are many of myself inside Daystrom Android M510. They mentioned that the personalities of, of the four androids that got loaded in here were not integrated, but they're really not integrated. Like they, the, <laughs> we, we cycle through them. Brent Spiner gets to clump a little bit. And uh, I thought he did a really nice job with this. The little subtle differences in like how he holds his face and how he, mm -hmm. you know, makes words and the kinds of things he says are, are really distinctive between these characters. And if you pay attention to camera position in these scenes, the camera position helps totally. underscore what character he's playing too. This is another moment that I wished... Picard had spent more time in because, you know, as they're getting ready to do this, Picard is really feeling a lot of ways about bringing data back a third time. And once they get data on, Picard 
kind of tries to get past the welcome pretty quickly and get right into the interrogation. Yeah. He's like, we got to know what was stolen. And Data sort of glitches out and keeps repeating Jean-Luc Picard. And it seems like a broken record thing. But uh, then his eyes start glowing and projecting a hologram in the middle of the space. It turns out what was stolen was Jean-Luc Picard. Human remains. Right. Because what happened to his body after his mind was put into a golem? Makes sense that they'd take the body with, right? Yeah. Hang on to that thing. Yeah. Might need it. Yeah. You don't just throw a body like this away. (laughs) Is what Cisco would say. (laughs) How surprised were you? At this being the big reveal. And, put another way, how disappointed were you at this being the big reveal? I mean, it's not exactly a weapon of mass destruction, but also, like, it would have been pretty strange for Starfleet to, like, I understand why Starfleet has a portal gun. I don't know why they would have a thing ten times more dangerous than a portal gun. Yeah. How is this more dangerous than that, is my question. Right. Maybe they're going to take the body to the Borgs, the real Borgs, as Shaw puts them. Like, hey. <laughs> We're still out there. You want to uh, have another go at this one? <laughs> Should we uh, see if we can get a nubbin bug in this thing's mouth and see what happens? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So um, Riker is... Uh, getting beat the fuck up by a Starfleet security officer. And then, like, this guy, like, turns around and shoots the other two Starfleet Mm -hmm. security officers, which means they were real humans who were Starfleet security officers standing by while a decorated captain gets his ass kicked for, you know, like, in an interrogation scenario. When you really stop to think about that moment... It is not a good look. What were they doing? Like, why were they okay with that? This is why ASAP in in Starfleet right now. You got to stop things like this. You got to intervene. Yeah. So uh, it is revealed that the the main one beating him up was Vatic. And uh, she's all gold. She's not just partly gold. Do you think those new phasers can shoot transport inhibitor rounds and real phaser rounds by the use of their settings? Oh. Because that looked like the same sidearm that everyone was using in that firefight earlier. Yeah. How could it have darts and energy beams in it? That's what I'm saying. It's mm-hmm. it's a nifty bit of technology. It really is. Man, this this dashed a long shot theory I had been entertaining in my head, but hadn't had a chance to talk about on the show yet. And when I first watched this episode, I like stood up in the room when Jack Crusher said the thing about Japanese teacups that are put back together with gold. I was like, maybe Vatic is like a person, but has somehow been like integrated with a changeling that's like holding body parts together. And that's why all the weird lines on her face. Wow. Great theory. But then it it seems like Vatic is just a changeling or like maybe more than one changeling. Well, the person that Vatic presented as in the Starfleet uniform notably had a lot of loaf. Yeah. So maybe she moved her changeling goo over her real face in order oh, to like- shoot. Maybe changeling equals meatloaf. Dang. Wow. I mean- 
that would help explain why Ghostface Change Leader has a different personality than Vatic and is and considers Vatic to be expendable. Right. Yeah. Maybe that theory is still in play. Seeing Riker walking around a ship that looks like this really gave me flashbacks to Riker on the Pach, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait till he impresses Vatic's crew by how much elan he brings to the uh, lunch room. Yeah. I may be back for you. They also have Troy held captive. So uh, she's a potted plant in the episode. Yeah, again, a Marina Sirtis given very little to do this season. Yeah. Where's their daughter? Is she not taken? I don't know. Is Riker going to be the Liam Neeson of this season? Are we sure? Oh, that it's that it's really her? Yeah. Hmm. I, this is... I mean, that that's... This was a question we brought up during those Deep Space Nine episodes as soon as they introduced the idea of the changeling. is like, right. do you break your show by doing that? <laughs> yeah. And did they break this show? I mean, I'm sure that Riker and Troy have enough super personal things that only the two of them know that it will be very easy for him to establish whether she is who she claims to be. I get a bet I want to make. Okay. There's probably no other place in the episode to to put it, so I'm going to put it here. I think if Jack Crusher is not a changeling, and at this point in time I believe him to be one for reasons we are unaware of at this point. Wow. I think if he's a human being with aromatic syndrome, I think he gets put into lore. What? Lore is the only like golem type container there is. <laughs> Dang. And Picard has to sacrifice data for his son. He has to choose son. Wow. What do you think of that? What if what if Picard wakes up and chooses son? What if Picard gives up his golem for his son and that's how it ends? <laughs> Picard the elder dies. Sacrificing right. his golem body for his kid. Except for his golem body is going to age and die anyway. So it's not that nice a sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> Could I interest you in a very used golem body? <laughs> very used. <laughs> you know, Beverly is still attracted to this body, and you could do what every son deep down really desires to kill his father. And sleep with his mother. One only need to consult the pornography of our time <laughs> for proof of this. <laughs> the one thing that ancient myth and pornography really agree on. <laughs> ben, did you like this episode? I shared many of your frustrations with some of the stuff that happens on the Daystrom Institute, but I did like this episode and I think I'm less frustrated by that stuff than you are. I thought it was really nice and it's nice to feel like the band is all together now. I agree. No dodging back to Metallus for the B story, like being all in one place is good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that they're not all. In I guess one it's place, not exactly but, yeah. true because Daystrom, but yeah, yeah, like the uh, stuff that they seem to be planting for the rest of the season is largely very exciting to me, and um, I think there are a couple of weak spots that you know could have been 
done a little bit better, but uh, the overall feeling I had with this one was that it was really exciting to watch. And I didn't ever quite feel like I knew where this episode was going. Like, it's kind of an interesting structure to an episode. And I liked it a lot. And I, and I liked seeing Moriarty. I, I have been scratching my head trying to figure out what he had to do with any of this. And I really like the idea that, you know, that was a device that uh, the data was using to make himself known to Riker. Kind of a, a shibboleth, almost. Yeah, I can get with that being the reason for that if it was a custom job for a Riker by a malfunctioning security system, which should not be in charge of security at Starfleet's most valuable station. Like, this is why did I like it in such conflict for me, which is like, there are elements that I like that don't make any sense. Yeah. And I want to be on the side of things making sense. And that part of it just doesn't. I like the band being back together, like you said. I love the beauty shots of all the ships. The idea of a shipyard is like a gift. It's great. But it's a gift that only goes up to a point, right? You don't get to get on these ships. Not yet, anyway. Right. And I think, finally, a lot has been said about season three of Picard being the one that sort of course corrects Picard into the thing we've wanted the entire time. Right. If that is true, like if that was the reason that things are the way that they are, why would you go back and try to make Nemesis better? Like <laughs> when Picard's body popped up on screen, I was like, God fucking damn it. Like I don't care about someone cloning Picard or taking his body and using it for their purposes or any of that shit. I found that really disappointing. And I hope that's not the plan here. I hope that the Picard body is yet another distraction and there's something else behind this thing because on a station full of interesting things, Picard's body is the least interesting. And definitionally, when people are talking about what's more dangerous than a portal weapon, how is Picard's body more dangerous? Yeah, what is more dangerous than a portal weapon? I don't know. Uh, I'm really excited to find out. Four episodes left. Yeah, we're getting getting close to the wire here. I think we've made some bets. I'm excited to see what happens with those. Yeah, samesies. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Well, you know where I'm at, Adam, is thinking about the fact that this episode is a pledge drive episode, so we're not going to be doing any priority one messages today. But uh, if you're listening to this when it isn't the Pledge Drive, it's always a good time to support the show at MaximumFun.org slash join. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself an Edward Larkin? Edward Larkin! I think it's Shaw for a couple of reasons. I think Shaw being a geek for Geordie is really fun. Mm -hmm. But also Shaw not knowing the whole every Starfleet ship is tied to another Starfleet ship thing. <laughs> I think you got to read the manual when you're yeah. given command of a ship. And mm -hmm. maybe, mm -hmm. you know, Shaw, as an engineer, I would have expected to be the type to read the manual. 
Disappointing. Well, I mean, he might be one of those types of engineers that just likes to get the hood open and kind of figure it out for himself. And the yeah. manuals are all the way over there in the glove <laughs> compartment, you know? I love reading the manuals. <laughs> what about <laughs> you, Ben? I bet you do. Uh, it is also Shaw for me, but for a totally different reason. Mm. There's one shot of Shaw in this episode that made me laugh out loud when Picard discusses their plan to burgle the Daystrom Institute and Riker compliments him on his use of the word burgle. Yeah. The camera cuts to Shaw just like nodding like that was a nice use of the word burgle. <laughs> Great cutaway. Fun cutaway. <laughs> that was so funny. Yeah. Yeah, that's an edit for comedy. And those are among our favorite ones. Yeah, it really worked for me. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Ben, everyone knows that warning boas are a way for a friend of DeSoto to either warn a stranger about the existence of our show or invite them in to become a friend of DeSoto themselves. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning boys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. It's something we really appreciate. You know, the folks getting out there on social media and making it known to others that uh, they listen to the show. This warning buoy we have here today is from at Destructor on Twitter. Man, <laughs> what a username. What a dead social network, but what a username. Dan got Destructor first. Yeah. So this is a uh, a video message and I will play some of the audio here. So the uh, the Shrike has the Elios in its uh, tractor beam. It's kind of sucking the Elios in and uh, Picard's like, oh, well, we're in big trouble now, number one. But then, just when they think all hope is lost, boom! And <laughs> the Titan getting the tractor beam freeing the Elios in the grand tradition of the Enterprise. It is a recreation of uh, our suggestion for using the Titan like a pizza cutter. <laughs> using Starship models as, you know, to stand in for the Shrike and the Mariposa, but then <laughs> green onions to stand in for the <laughs> the tractor beam yeah. in this scene. So germane to a very recent episode of Star Trek Picard, and I really liked the... Uh, Destructor's recreation here. Yeah. And uh, you'll have to watch the video to see how it's done. We've had a lot of great submissions to uh, Warning Boaz at this point. Yeah. A lot of talented audio video friends of DeSoto. Yeah. We're trying to pull them from all the different social networks, you know, Mastodon. We'll probably ask Bill if there's any on Facebook that he wants to screen grab and throw in here. This one was from Twitter. So, uh, you know, any place you are on is a great place to mention the show. And another way to get on is to leave a nice review over on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. Thanks to everyone for their support during the Max Fun Drive. Yeah, thanks so much. And here is Wendy with some credits. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. We'll be back next Friday with a review of Season 3, Episode 7 of Star Trek Picard. And we also want to thank Adam Ragusea. He created the original music for Greatest Trek, and you can find his podcast and his YouTube cooking channel by searching for Adam Ragusea. 
Nick Ditmore created the show art, and Bill Tilly manages the At Greatest Trek social media pages on Instagram and Twitter, and now on Mastodon too. Make sure you're following those accounts and use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you talk about the show online. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.